Well, good morning again. Good to see all of you. I'm glad you're here. We've had a great worship so far. And as Brother A.J. told me when he was stepping off our platform, he said, the Primitive Baptists don't have anything on us today. So we, a lot of good acapella singing and uh, a lot of good music from our choir. Great day. If you have your Bibles, turn with me to John chapter 12. We're going to read with verse 1. Let me... I want to, I want to emphasize an announcement that we made earlier and I want to, to put it out there for you. Uh, again, tomorrow evening at, at Down at Community First, we're having, um, uh, the, uh, uh, Stokes County representative for domestic violence. She's the educator to be here. She was here last week and, uh, she is really good. This is a very relevant topic and I encourage you to be here. We'll have time of refreshment, have some, uh, she'll have a, a little talk. But if you can come, uh, 6.30, it's really good. She's really good. And uh, it's a good opportunity for our church. Um, I, we are uh, 40 messages into the preaching of John's gospel. Uh, we're about, we're roughly half finished. And uh, this chapter, chapter 12, will conclude Jesus' public ministry. There are... There are three accounts here in, in chapter 12 that we talk about, uh, Mary's anointing at Bethany, uh, the uh, triumphal entry of Jesus into Jerusalem, and Jesus then discussing with his apostles his death. So we are nearly halfway through this great book. I have not covered it. I have not given it justice. It is far deeper and greater. We could start all over next week. And a whole new set of messages and would not even be like the ones we've already had. It's, it's a book rich and in its depth. I had a professor in seminary that uh, had written his Ph.D., his dissertation on John, and said in the course of his career as a pastor, and he was about 80 years old, had preached over 3,000 messages in the book of John that were all unique. And so I'll just give you an idea. Forty, we hadn't even scratched the surface of this book. It's a wonderful book. This is a great account. Uh, before I read it, I, I want to tell you a little bit about it so you understand it and that you get this. Uh, this account is one of three accounts in the Gospels that tell the story of Mary, uh, Martha, and, and the home of Simon. And let me give you a little perspective on them. Uh, the, the account that we're going to read today in John's Gospel is similar to an account that's in Matthew Chapter 26 and Mark chapter 14, they're the same event. It happened the same night and the same evening time together. There is an account in the Gospel of Luke, chapter 7, that is a different account. It's a different Mary. She was a prostitute, a harlot. And this Mary was an honorable lady. You see, in that day and time, they never would have mentioned someone uh with a good reputation alongside someone with a bad reputation. So if you had a bad reputation, they would say that. So the account in Luke chapter 7 is an account of, of Mary, uh, a woman of disrepute. But she worshipped our Lord in a marvelous way. And then in Luke chapter 10, we see another, a third account. And that's the one where Jesus said to, to Martha, he said, you're so busy. You know, Mary's chosen the greater things and she's doing what needs to be done. So I want to draw those parallels to you so you kind of know where where we are in this. Uh, John's gospel records accounts that are in Mark 26, I mean Matthew 26 and Mark 14. Let me read this and then we'll talk about it today. Chapter 1, chapter 12, verse 1. Six days before the Passover, Jesus came to Bethany 
where Lazarus was the one Jesus had raised from the dead. So they gave a dinner for him there. Martha was serving them, and Lazarus was one of those reclining at the table with him. Then Mary took a pound of perfume, pure and expensive nard, anointed Jesus' feet, and wiped his feet with her hair. So the house was filled with the fragrance of the perfume. I I want you to contemplate that. We're going to talk about what a wonderful verse. The house was filled with the fragrance of the perfume. And one of his disciples, Judas Iscariot, who was about to betray him, said, Why wasn't this perfume sold for 300 denarii and given to the poor? He didn't say this because he cared about the poor, but because he was a thief. He was in charge of the money bag and would steal part of it. What was it put in it? And Jesus answered, Leave her alone. She has kept for it the day of my burial. For you will always have the poor with you, but you do not always have me. Father, thank you for your word. Speak clearly to us today. In Jesus' name, amen. Uh, so, so with this account, uh, we see Jesus being a war, uh, uh, dined by his friends and Lazarus. Mary, Martha, and Lazarus were friends of Jesus. They were, uh, we see them in three instances in the Gospels where they shared a meal together. Uh, two instances here, uh, the third instance is different. Um, it, it's really important to, to understand that Jesus had friends. He had people that he liked to be with, just like you and I. We like to go out and have an evening together. Jesus, this apparently was uh, the, the night that he would like to have had with his friends. And, of course, it just came after the time that Lazarus was raised from the dead. So I want to paint for you a picture that this dinner was held with the most unique guest list. Uh, Matthew and Mark tell us that Simon, the leper, was, it was his home. So Simon, who had been healed of leprosy, was there. Lazarus was there, who had been raised from the dead. And then there are the twelve disciples and Jesus, uh, Mary and Martha, at least seventeen people at this meal. What a dinner occasion. One, uh, one uh, theologian wrote, he said, picture Simon saying, I saw the scabs fall right off my hand. My fingers grew back where they'd fallen off. I reached up and my eyebrows were there. I was healed. And then Lazarus probably could have said, that was nothing. I was, I was dead, gone four days. I was in paradise and I walked out of the tomb and saw everyone. What an amazing dinner this must have been. People that were in the presence of Jesus Probably because they were friends, but certainly because their lives had been touched by Christ. I, I, I just love this. I, you know, when I was reading this this week, I said, I, I wish we could get past all the things as Christians that we separate, that separate us and that we talk about and get out of the politics and get out of all of these things and just celebrate what Christ has done in our life. What a great thing that would be. Because he's done powerful things in our life. That alone would set our attitude for worship. What a guest this, this was. And then Martha gave, a, gave the gift of a great meal in verse 2. You can see that. And so they gave a dinner for him there. Martha was serving them. Lazarus was one of those reclining at the table with him. So here she was fixing a meal for 17. Uh, if, with the one or two times in my life that I fixed a meal for above 10 or 12 people, I was nearly terrified. I know a lot of you ladies and some of you men probably do it with ease and confidence. That's not the thing that makes me confident. 
I've done it before, but I'm not comfortable with it. Martha did it out of her service. The the Bible tells us in Mark and Matthew that she was busy around the kitchen doing these things. That uh, she served Jesus with her meal. That was her way of doing it. I saw a sign several years ago that I jotted down. It said, um, it, it hung over a kitchen sink and said, divine service held here three times a day. Isn't that great? Because for a lot of you, your ministry is in the kitchen. I haven't felt well this week, and uh, I, I just hadn't felt well. And, and Debbie said, what do you want for supper? And I said, I just, I just want to do something quiet. And so she fixed potato soup last night. Our, our home was filled with the smell of potato soup, and it was so great. I, I thought, what a ministry, what a blessing, what a treasure of home. When you get that kind of service. And and this afternoon, our church will minister to a grieving family and do the same thing. They'll prepare a meal. Our ladies will prepare a meal and put it before our grieving family. It's a ministry to them. It's not done with any expectation or any thought, but just to say we love you and care for you. You know many of you speak volumes by your meals. You make homes around your meals. Your children will come back. Maybe for no other reason than to have a meal in your home because you, you can love your family through a meal. We all have gifts like this. And whatever they are, they're practical, mundane, everyday gifts that we serve the Lord with. Martha was serving Jesus with a gift of a meal. And you all have those same things. Whatever they are. Maybe, maybe your divine gift is around a lathe. Maybe maybe it's on a computer screen. Maybe it's in a classroom. I, I don't know. But you can serve the Lord in an everyday. You can share the love of Christ with the gift that God has given you. Paul writes in Romans chapter 12, verse 1, and, and this is inseparable from this piece of scripture, I think. Paul writes, therefore, brothers and sisters, in view of the mercies of God, I urge you to present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and pleasing to God. This is your true worship. You see, Paul says, if you want to worship God, then present your body, present who you are, present what you have, present your talents and your abilities, present your body, not as a dead sacrifice, but as a living sacrifice. Give Christ exactly What you have. What a marvelous, marvelous ministry to do that. Martha understood that. She presented her body as a living sacrifice. And she set the framework for this whole meal. Number three, Mary gave an extravagant gift, more than she could afford, that filled the whole room. Now there's Mary. We see her in Luke uh, chapter uh, 14 being chastised a little bit, Martha being chastised for being a little too busy. Mary was the one that just sat at the foot of Jesus. She took a, the Bible tells us, a pound of perfume, pure and expensive nard. Matthew and Mark says that she had an alabaster container that she unsealed and opened it up. This was precious. Most average people would never have had this perfume. It was a year's salary. Can you imagine that? A year's income. 300 denarii. Judas is ever making the deal. And he knew how much it was worth. He knew the value of it. And she opened this alabaster jar. And when she did. And she began to spread it on 
Jesus' feet and on his hair as an offering to him, it filled the whole room up. The, the, uh, the house was filled with the fragrance of the perfume. Most likely, this nard came from a plant that was grown in India. People in Palestine would never have had a plant grown in India. They wouldn't have had a perfume from that. This was way beyond the means of everyday people. She took something that was way over the top. It, it, it is, I mean, imagine a year's income. And she opened it up and smeared it on his body as an offering to him. That's, that's what she did. That's how much she loved him. That's what she cared about. She, she took, she took this perfume, anointed Jesus' feet, and wiped his feet with her hair. You know, in those days, a woman's hair was her most precious commodity. If you didn't have a lot of jewelry and a lot of property and a lot of nice clothing, you maybe didn't have a nice home, but you could have beautiful hair that you could maintain and, and keep clean and, and could, could array that it would be very beautiful and attractive. She took her most attractive asset and smeared it up with this oil and wiped off the feet of Jesus. You know, if you touched someone's feet in those days, uh, that was considered really bad manners. You, a good person just didn't touch somebody's feet because feet were dirty. They were objectionable. They weren't attractive. They were contaminated. And only the servants, only the slaves, only the people with no social status would ever touch anyone's feet. She wiped off his feet with her hair. What a great gift. I think there's times that we just have to give our Lord extravagant gifts. We have to do it over the top. An extravagant gift isn't something that we give halfway or is something that we have to contemplate, but we just pour it out. It may be money. It might be our time. It might be our, our life. I think of our missionaries that spend their lives in dangerous, harsh environments. And there, there are many times are men and women who are good preachers and good teachers and they could serve anywhere, but they go in some Middle East country and endanger their whole life for the gospel. They're giving an extravagant gift. They're giving God all that they have. Maybe you don't do it that way. We have ministries in our church like Hope Kitchen. I've as long as I've been here, before I came here, Hope Kitchen was started. Hope Kitchen, you know, we feed our community. We take about 250 meals one Saturday a month. Our ladies prepare the meals, and then we have drivers that deliver them. It's always an effort. We have 40 or 50 people involved in that. I've had people say to me, well, you know, what's the deal about one meal? What's I mean, one meal on a Saturday, how much difference can that make? Uh, after I'd been back here about six months, um, I, and I was asking that question, what difference does one meal make? One of the folks on the routes said to me, you know, this is really a good meal because it comes at the end of the month when we've run out and we're waiting on our food stamps the next month. And so it's an opportunity for the church to show an extravagant kind of love. I was working down at East Oaks Outreach Ministry uh, a couple of years ago. I was down there one day, and Marshall asked me to go into her office. And she said, there's a woman here that wants to talk to you. I didn't know her. I'd never seen her. It's an elderly lady. And she said, are you the preacher at that Baptist church? And I said, yes, ma'am, I am. I didn't know what was coming next. <laughs> She said, I just want to tell you, 
you guys have been bringing meals to my house for, she named how long it was, four or five years. And she said, I've never said thank you. But I want to tell you how much that means. She says, you know, we have a church across the street and we've never seen them. But you guys don't know us and we've never been to your church. But you bring a meal to our home every Saturday, the last Saturday of every month. And we just, I just wanted to tell you how much we appreciate it. So Hope Kitchen cost a lot of money. It cost a lot of hours and output and effort by our church. But I think it's an extravagant gift that we give the Lord. We don't do it for any other reason. I don't know that anybody that's ever come to Hope Kitchen comes to our church. It's not our purpose or goal. So I think sometimes we need to minister. We need to minister out of our heart for Christ. We just need to say, this is something I can do. This is something I can give. This is an offering that I have for no other reason. I'm not looking for a return. I'm not looking to, to do anything with it. I'm not looking for recognition or not looking for it to reproduce itself in my life. I'm not looking. I'm just looking to give it to the Lord. I'm going to pour it out in an extravagant way. That's what Mary did. She poured out an offering in an extravagant way. Now, Judas was there and he protested. He said... Why wasn't this perfume sold for 300 denarii and given to the poor? And then the Bible gives us his motive. It didn't say that because he cared about the poor, but because he was a thief. And he wanted more money in the coffer so he could keep it. He was in charge of the money bag and would steal part of what was in it. You know, there there's people all the time that are critical and hesitant about ministries. And they say, why do we do that? We could, we could use that money for much better reasons. Maybe we could invest it. Maybe we could save it. Maybe we could set it aside. Maybe we could give it somewhere else. But there's times that all of us, whether it's with our church or whether it's in our personal finances or in our personal talents, that we just need to give God a gift and just say, Lord, this is yours. This is because I love you and because of what you've done. That's why Mary did that. Her brother had been raised from the dead four days by Jesus. She loved him. She was deeply appreciative of what he did. And Jesus, on the other hand, I mean, Judas, on the other hand, had been with Jesus all those years and hadn't been moved. In the other account, and I'm not trying to confuse you, but I just wanted to share with you the other account of of Mary the harlot. And she was in the home of Simon the Pharisee. In Luke chapter 7. And the Pharisee who had invited him saw this and said to to himself, This man, if he were a prophet, would know who he was and what kind of woman this is who's touching him. Mary was anointing him and washing his feet. She's a sinner. He shouldn't be around her. And Jesus replied, Simon, I have something to say to you. And he said, Say it, teacher. And Jesus told him the creditor, the parable of the creditor. And he said, a creditor had two debtors. He owed 500 denarii. The other owed 50. Since they could not pay it back, he graciously forgave them both. So which of them will love me more, will love him more? Simon said, I suppose the one he forgave more. And Jesus said, you've judged correctly. Turning to the woman, he said to Simon, do you see this woman? I entered your house and she gave me no water for my feet. She had tears. Uh, she has washed my feet and wiped them with her hair. You gave me no kiss, but she hasn't stopped kissing my feet since I came in. You didn't anoint me with olive oil, but she has anointed my feet with perfume. Therefore, I tell you, her many sins have been forgiven. That's why she loved much. But the one who is forgiven little loves little. The one forgiven little loves little. I don't think Simon had any less sin. I just don't think he was forgiven of his sin. 
He didn't have an attitude of graciousness and gratitude. And Jesus looked at Mary the harlot and said, your sins are forgiven. So I think there's times that we need to give out of a knowledge of what Christ has done for us. We just need to give. The house was filled with a sweet aroma of the perfume. Number four, Lazarus did nothing that we know of for Jesus. I I read, I added these last passages down here. Uh, then a large crowd of Jews came and learned he was there. They came not only because of Jesus, but also to see Lazarus, the one he had raised from the dead. But the chief priest had decided to kill Lazarus also because he was the reason many of the Jews were deserting them and believing in Jesus. I, we don't know of anything that Lazarus did for Jesus. I, I added this last night because I thought, you know, I think this is very relevant to the whole passage. Dr. R. Kent Hughes, a theologian, wrote of this passage, Lazarus had become Jesus' star witness. I find it amazing because as I read the Gospels, I can't find anything outstanding about Lazarus. It seems he never did anything worth recording. Perhaps he never did anything worth recording at all. Yet he ended up being one of the great witnesses for Christ. The answer is not in what Lazarus did for Jesus. It is what Jesus did for Lazarus. Isn't that great? So Lazarus was there, was a part of this Even though he didn't have a trace of genius or talent, he didn't have a contribution to the ministry of Christ. He was a friend of our Lord and a friend and a brother to Mary and Martha. Even though he was not only dead in his sins, he was dead in his body and Jesus had raised him from death. What a remarkable miracle. The world could look at Lazarus and see the power of Christ all over him. I'm going to tell you today. I think we're all about in Lazarus' spot, aren't we? We don't have a lot to offer Christ, really. I mean, we've done some things, but I know that what he has done for me is far greater than anything, any meager act I could ever do for him. The only reason, as Paul said, he could boast is he could boast in Christ for what he had done. So that's that's a really important point about Lazarus. If we have new life and we're serving Christ... We're one of the greatest arguments there is for the gospel. You, you are. Listen, if you have a new life in Christ and you're serving him, you have the greatest gospel message ever. That's what the world wants to hear. And that's what Lazarus had. I want to wrap you up with a few things. We could get you out a little bit early today, I think. Martha served with what she had. She literally, Mary literally poured her life more than she had before Jesus in compassionate and selfless worship. And Lazarus is a testimony for what Jesus did for us. Sometimes we're so conflicted when we serve other people. You know, I understand that helping ministries are are difficult. I have told AJ many times that as many years as I've done this, and I haven't done it as many years as a lot of pastors, but I've done it a few years, and I don't find it any easier. It's hard It's hard to know when to help and when not to help. It's hard to know the people that are, are really needing help and the people that are just trying to get a handout. It's really difficult to know. I think sometimes we just have to say, Lord, this is for you, and I'm not doing it for them. I'm doing it for you. I... Uh, I knew that I could get a good story if I talked to Marshall, 
Brown, who runs our outreach ministry, I called Marshall this week and I said, Marshall, I want you to think about a really good situation that, and I told her the passage of scripture that I was working on and I said, I would, I would, I know you've got a ton of really good stories if you could share one with me. She really surprised me with this story. I want to put it up here because I want you to see how she wrote it back to me. I don't know if you can see all of her inflections, but her inflections tell the story. That's why I asked David to put it up. Martha, I think of being busy and not taking time, but Jesus, Jesus always had time. He always made time. So I had this client that would call me ever so often, more than I wanted, to ask for groceries and ask me to deliver it on the to boot. It was on my way home, so I took pity on her because she was very sick and she got thinner every time I saw her. When she called, she would be specific of the items she needed. Cereal, but not cinnamon. Bread, sliced. Green beans, but no peas. Sweets, but no, you get the picture. I would dread it when she called. Because five minutes later, she would add to the list. There would be at least four or five total calls in one day to complete her special order. So this was another one of those days. And I said, oh my, here we go. The pantry patiently went by the list of the request, and then the call came. And this was the request, log cabin syrup. What? We aren't food lion. I was livid. But I go back to the pantry so I could just say I looked, and there on the shelf was one bottle of log cabin syrup. (laughs) I will never forget that moment. Nor the humility I had knowing I was standing on holy ground. Nothing is ever too big or too small for our God. Then why do we, me, ever think that it is? Or why do we think things are impossible? I took her groceries to her that day along with a cherished syrup and explained to her that she is more valuable than she could ever possibly know. And nothing is too big or too small for him. Isn't that great? Lazarus showed us what a life in Christ looked like. He was an evidence of Christ transformed, well, transformed him. And the three of these folks make a remarkably complete picture of what Jesus can do and what we can do. Some of us, we need to serve like Martha with all the talent we have. And we need to find ways to do that. If you have talent, God has given it to you. To use for his kingdom and for his purpose is not just for you. Look for ways to use it. Be a servant. Serve the way he served. AJ and I were at a conference of pastors a few weeks ago, and I heard one pastor speak, and it really resonated with me. He said that we pastors should not be surprised since we are shepherds, therefore servants for the flock. We should not be surprised when we're treated like shepherds and servants. Because that's what we are. We do need to serve with the gifts that God has given us. All of us. All of you. We need to do that. We should find ways like Mary to serve extravagantly. And I don't know what that looks like in your life. But God will reveal that. He'll open that door for you. He'll show you. He'll teach you. Maybe it's not a year's worth of income. Maybe it's not. An alabaster jar of perfume that you bought from India. But it could be something. Mary and Martha gave their best to the Lord. They didn't give what was left. They didn't give what they had after it was all gone. And we can all do that. And the fragrance of Christ will follow us wherever we go. That's my prayer for you, church. 
that we be a church that serves extravagantly, that we love him with all that we have, that we show it in ways that are tangible to the world. Jesus said, if you want to serve me, serve the least of these. So that's our challenge as a church. A Lord who's so big that he wants us to take his blessing and put it out all over the world. So let our lives be a fragrance. Father, thank you that we have your word, that we can learn from it and grow from it. Lord, move us to change us, to serve you, to love you, to honor you for what you've done for us. In Jesus' name we pray.